special guest. I'll allow him to uh, introduce himself. Hi, Terry Chapandama, uh, boxing fan, boxing coach on the amateur side with Double Jab Boxing Club and general opinion holder about most things boxing. <laughs> so you can see immediately he's far more qualified than the person actually hosting this podcast. Yeah, or me, let's be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see how it goes. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we're going to just go through our usual uh, spin on things and uh, see how our opinions interlace with uh, with Terry's. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think between us we've seen various bits of different things over the weekend, so it'll be an interesting... Uh, yeah, see how we stitch it together. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right, first of all, I suppose the most logical place to start... Well, actually, I, I suppose there's there's a few places we could start, but let's go for, for Khan, Alvarez. It was a big year over the weekend. Khan got... <sighs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I well, I listened to it. I didn't see it, so I I sort of heard that uh, Khan had pretty much held his own for the first four rounds, um, and then he drawn the fifth round, and then Alvarez just sort of basically found his way through and knocked him out. Terry, did you see it as well? Um, so I saw the fight uh, on a drunken coach heading back into London. <laughs> Honesty, <laughs> not recommended. Um, I saw the fight. Khan got poleaxed. It was he got poleaxed, but the beautiful thing about that fight was Canelo set it up beautifully. That right hand was always going to come and it was always going to land at some point. Um, if you look at the second round, I find it really interesting that the two times he tried to throw the, the fainted jab in the right hand, Khan was smart and moved off to his right. When he got knocked out, it was when he moved to his left. Um, not sure what he's doing with Virgil Hunter, but he was moving to his left. And he wasn't throwing a jab, which basically meant you were there for the right hand, especially if you kept your hand low like he was doing. And you know, it was just a matter of time, to be honest with you. His chin was never going to hold that kind of shot. Um, and people will say he was brave for doing it. I thought he was pretty foolish, to be honest with you. And I I had it three rounds to two at the end of the fifth. I thought every time Canelo threw a punch, he got a reaction out of Khan. I thought every time Khan flurried, you know, Canelo didn't move. So did you think um, Khan held his own in any way? Do you think it did itself any justice? Or was it just a foolish uptake from the start? Khan, well, let's look. Danny Garcia, we saw the same pattern, didn't we? Garcia was just timing that left hook, so it was a matter of time. We saw the same with Bradis Prescott. It's always a question of, he's always going to get hit, and no one has solved that problem that he has, which is, he becomes predictable. He runs off to his left-hand side when he feels under pressure, which he shouldn't do. And then he just gets tagged with these right hands. And his chin can't take it. You know, um, I don't know what you do with Khan. Um, he's a modern-day Arturo Gatti, in my opinion. Martin? Yeah. Um, I think Terry summed it up pretty well, to be honest. I'm not going to add an awful lot. I think um, when you're saying about how he was holding his own, yes, he held his own for rounds one, two, and three. And, you know, more than held his own. 
Um, but I think by the fourth and the fifth, it was quite clear that Canelo had got the measure of him. And so, you know, the speedy flurries, the in and outs. Well, I say in and out, it was in and run away. Like, it wasn't bothering Canelo. Uh, there was no power to it. And I think, he, you know, he said before that he knew he didn't have the power to hurt him. And he was right. <laughs> he wasn't bullshitting about it. Um, and, yeah, like by the, the fourth, fifth round... Or certainly by the fifth, like Canelo got the measure of him, and so wasn't um, bothered by Khan coming into distance. He knew he wasn't going to get hurt, and so it was just as Terry said. I mean, what his left hand was doing when he got knocked out, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you can shed any light on it, but it looked like he was almost covering a body shot that wasn't there. And uh-huh. It was, it was similar. I thought in a way to the way Groves got knocked out by Froch, in the the left feint by Froch drew the hand up which then allowed the right cross to take him square on the chin it was almost similar to that apart from there was no feint <laughs> and Khan had just dropped so 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 go back to the second round again it was the jabs to the body um i don't know how many canelo threw and clearly he learned a lot from his fight with floyd and he was throwing that jab to the body you could hear it on the broadcast it was making it was a sickening sound so before the right hand came over, Canelo fainted to the body. Khan panicked because he didn't want to take any more of those. And his defensive chain went to pieces. So if you watch it, when he gets hit, he has a right hand somewhere near his solar plexus. Yeah. And a left hand just hanging around aimlessly. So he was open for whatever shot Canelo wanted to throw afterwards. Which makes you think, what's Virgil Hunter really taught him? Because that wasn't Khan of old. Yeah, which brings me on to the subject that I really wanted to talk about as well, which is... Um, what has changed in Khan's makeup since he... As I heard an interview with, I think it was... Uh, well, in fact, it was Paulie Malignaggi adding to the Radio 5 commentary. And he said that he feels like he's come on um, in discipline, in his boxing prowess, since he started working with Virgil Hunter uh, in comparison to when he was working with Freddie Roach. Like, I realise this is in, almost in direct opposition to what you just said. Keep but... it in context, because uh, Malinaji has an issue with Pacquiao that goes back years. I'm not sure anyone can really put a finger on Pacquiao chained by Roach. So it's almost like there's by proxy an issue with Freddie Roach that Malinaji has. Um... So you'd, he's almost like... He'd be a, a, a biased, yeah, right, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, so you don't think he... Essentially, let's go back to that then. You don't think he's come on working with Virgil Hunter I think what Hunter's done is said do less without necessarily adding anything new to what Khan does so the old Khan would throw five and six punch combinations stay in the pocket a little too long get counted the Maidana fight was a prime example um, go even further back you know against someone like a Paul McCloskey and he's throwing multiple hit combinations McCloskey's weathering the storm and coming back which made Khan look average Probably the same with the you know with the Diaz fight as well. I don't see what he's done because you look at Andre Ward and Andre Ward's considered defensively. He's very measured. He minimizes the risk even before he's engaged. Whereas Khan is very much okay. Throw your shots, get out, circle. Throw your shots, get out, circle. But it's so predictable that Canelo said, oh, "I'm not getting hurt here. I've got twelve rounds to knock him out. I'm not going for points. I'll stalk him." And once he got the range with the jab to the body, he knew the right hand would follow. And I didn't hear much in the corner which said, okay, here's how we're going to fix the problem. I think they thought they were just going to raid in and out for 12 rounds and take the decision, which 
is to disrespect the skill that Canelo has. Yeah, I, I suppose it sort of disregards the fact that he has such a massive knockout on him, doesn't it? The knockout, but also I was impressed with his skill level. So a lot of good head movement from Canelo, which we don't give him credit for. So, you know, multi-level head positions. His head would be high, his head would be low, and Khan couldn't make any sense of that. Do you think... Um... <clears throat> Uh, one of the thoughts I had from it was that Canelo still doesn't cut off the ring particularly well. Uh, like the Mayweather fight, he struggled to ever pin him. Well, like, don't get me wrong, Mayweather's a different animal to most, but he still didn't cut that ring off. And uh, you know, ultimately he sparked him out, but um, he seemed to struggle with that. And any fighter with movement, you know, Elvis Landy Lara, um, seems to cause him a little bit of issue, which Khan did for a few rounds. And it's a complete mismatch looking at it in hindsight and what have you, but. It, to me, it didn't seem like the lateral movement was any improvement on what we've seen previously. I don't. I, I think. I think the world sees Canelo as a Mexican-style fighter. Canelo sees himself as an elegant boxer, so he doesn't really think in terms of cutting the ring off in the same way Miguel Cotto would, where Miguel Cotto will throw his combinations and then close the space down, so you can't necessarily run away from him. I think Canelo sees himself it's almost like a Mexican Mayweather, where you should be trying to close him down which kind of leads to this sort of asymmetry in style, if that makes sense. Like it, 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 he doesn't reflect what we'd like him to do. Well, it doesn't he perform better when boxers attack him rather than stand off him? Yeah, because, yeah, he sees himself as that, that, that boxer type. So that, that, that would be, the nat- his natural inclination then would be to, would be to or encourage them to attack him so that he could, he could <laughs> do what he did last yeah. night, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so do we see Golovkin? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> he did speak about him in the ring last night. Oh, of course he? he did. Yeah, he had a <laughs> ringside or something. He went in the ring after the oh, fight. Okay. Was... Oh yeah, whilst Khan was still on the floor, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Stepping over him. Yeah, Khan's still on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone checked? A sweeper going in. And... Anybody got a snow shovel? <laughs> That was a weird moment though when he did get knocked out and Canelo knelt over him. It was like the Undertaker in a wrestling match. Yeah, <laughs> just knelt over him. I was like, he's reading him the last rites. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I found it slightly weird. Like the the medical team that kind of rushed the ring to check on him it was like a bloke with a towel just waving it over him. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I noticed that. Maybe you ought to, uh, you know, do something that isn't just involving a towel. Is um, somebody telling somebody else and saying, is that our most qualified medic? <laughs> He's <laughs> number one, maybe. <laughs> or even a flannel over his face. Um, so, yeah, Golovkin, I, I still see it as Canelo's teeth. I think, personally, I think Canelo probably wants to fight Golovkin. I think it is in his makeup, it's in his nature. I think his team will do what they can to string it out another year, maybe, allow Golovkin to potentially age a little bit. Um, I don't think there's the appetite from the entire, you know, from like the whole holistic team to actually take Golovkin next. I don't think they need to. Um, my, my take on it is who's got the biggest wins at middleweight right now? I'd say Danny Jacobs beating Peter Quillen in one round is probably the biggest middleweight win in the last 18 months. I'd say Billy Joe Saunders beating Andy Lee probably the second biggest win. So if you are going to fight as a middleweight, I'd be calling those two out. And, you know, I'm worried that Golovkin gets frozen out because he doesn't have that fight where you say you fought a top guy in the division. He, he needs that before he can legitimately call out Canelo. My view is Golovkin will have to move up. Okay. Mine... 
Anything um, to add there? Yeah, I, there's so much clamour for it, but I don't see, I don't think it will happen in the next six to twelve months. Be my view. Um, but I don't know who Golovkin will get, and I think Terry's probably right that uh, he'll have to move up. But even then, can you see the Gale jumping at the chance of fighting him for his title? Not really, because the Gale's not looked spectacular in the last couple of fights. I, I don't know where he's going to go. I, Okay, let's move swiftly on to the uh, Anthony Crawler Barroso fight. I didn't see this fight. Did I have you two? Yes. Yes, I saw it in my car on the way home. Whilst you were being uh, driven, right? Whilst I was being driven. Again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was in London traffic, right? So I had it on on my phone. That's your dedication to this podcast, mate. Uh, yeah, unless you're the police, I didn't. Willing, uh, to risk, <laughs> willing or not willing to risk your life or not risking his life for the podcast. Right, so I saw, actually what I did see was this morning the um, knockout of Barossa. Um Barroso, sorry. Um, I'm glad but, you did. I don't think anyone else saw that, did they? <laughs> he, was just, he was fucked, wasn't he? Like, there was nothing left to him. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even think that shot connected. I'm still trying to see where... <laughs> Where that right hand touched. I think uh, well, I, I, as some sort of caveat, I will say that I saw it on a, <laughs> an iPod, an i an i um, phone seven screen <laughs> when I'd just woken up. My mate thrust it in my face. Look, crawler one. I was like, right, okay. Uh, I think he was beaten before that round started. Like he was beaten at the back end of the last round. It was um, you know, Joe Gallagher gets a lot of grief for his general tactics as a coach. Uh, I'm sure you know Terry. You can probably shed some light on that, but as a coach and what you think to it, but the tactics that he put out last night for Crawler, as he said it himself, was to go into the eye of the storm, take the big punches. Um, and there were big punches from Barroso. Like, there were some real big punches. And the guard was getting hit and broken from Crawler. They weren't, you know, light tapping crosses. They were, they were big shots. Um, but Crawler stood there and took all of it. And, you know, after four rounds, you'd probably say Barroso was four rounds up. Um, but Crawler, it was quite clear that his game plan was stretch it out to the latter rounds. Barossa had never been past the sixth round before last night, and I guess Joe Gallagher and co had worked on the basis that he can't keep that pace up for an entire 12-round fight, and they were right. Um, Gallagher's standard Gallagher formula, isn't it? We'll box the 12 rounds, and we will do the second half harder than we do the first half. Um... I might be wrong, and I'm sure I'll get corrected by social media, but I think Crawler sparred Ahara Davis in the lead-up to this fight, which I think is great sparring because there's a young lightweight who hits like a mule. So you're getting used to that round after round, taking a shellacking from an Ahara Davis. So when Barroso shows up, psychologically, you're ready for that. Barroso wasn't a 12-round fight, so I don't think he prepared for a 12-round fight. His corner clearly hadn't prepared for a 12-round fight because he was winning the rounds comfortably. He didn't have to do that much in the first four rounds. And then he punched himself out. You yeah. know, and whatever you say about Gallagher fighters, they're all super fit. So you expect them to box the full 12 rounds. And I just think Crawler stayed consistent. You know, Barroso fell off so badly that I'm sure Crawler was surprised that the end came the way that it did. You know, the guy the guy took an easy way out. So he, he quit. He quit. Yeah, I'm always inclined not to say people quit. I think he just there was a way out, and he, he walked through that door. <laughs> <laughs> so are we? Are we sort of 
getting to the point, getting to the sort of uh, point where we'd say that Crawler was essentially just a class above Barroso, and, it, and it, Barroso didn't stand much of a chance in winning the fight at all. No, no, not that. Crawler was the underdog going into it, so you know he'd retired Mitchell on the bookies, you know, betting he was the underdog. There's still a perception with Crawler, I think, personally within like the the general boxing world, that he's a domestic level fighter who's overachieving. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I think he's proving that wrong by the fight. Um, but that's certainly how it's been seen for a while now. I suppose he's got the the knockout loss to Derek Matthews on his record, and that kind of that maybe adds to that perception. But we dwell we dwell on losses too much in boxing. It frustrates me greatly. You know, they're, they're guys that I coach, and people say, "How many has he won? How many has he lost?" But you say, "Oh, he's lost six. Oh, okay, he's lost six, but he hasn't been beaten for two years." Those six defeats were learning experiences, somewhat utter robberies. But you know, I'd rather you have a defeat on your record because then you're not so obsessed with staying undefeated. I Protecting think, it, yeah. yeah. I think it's grossly <laughs> overrated. You know, it's it's a, it's a shitty marketing tool used by promoters who've got nothing else to say about their fighter. Oh, he's unbeaten. You know, two unbeaten fighters. This is a super fight. Well, with the the Cobra who's fighting David Hay, <laughs> he's unbeaten in twenty nine fights, and we've seen how that. We've mentioned this before. Martin's even said. Um, I believe it was about Anthony Joshua that you said that it would actually probably do him good to lose. So then there's nothing to protect. Yeah, there's no there's Luke Campbell old. as well. We're talking about when he took his loss yeah. uh, against uh, Ivan Mendy. That that's going to be the best thing that will happen for him now because he'll learn from it. And it, you can't. There's going to be no bad side to that aside from he's got a loss on his record. But so what? Like if you went on and were world champion for ten years and you built a legacy. Who's going to come back to that loss to Mendy? That's <laughs> true, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's on a fight-by-fight fight basis. And, you know, I know I, I give Khan a lot of shit generally for what he does as a fighter. but And a person. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there, there, there's a guy that fronts up. He loses, he comes back. I remember he lost to Lamont Peterson, threw his hat in the ring with a Danny Garcia. Not many would have done that. So I think there's a lot to be said for just wanting to challenge yourself, you know, Carl Froch lost, but I still think he's had the greatest run of fights that any British champion has had. The, this, this, you know, these, these whole the myth about losses. Is, I wish it would just stop. To be honest with you. Well, you may get your wish, um, as boxing is going to have to go through some sort of um, evolution to stave off the uh, massive influx of UFC. Well, that's te- seemingly tearing the uh, tearing the fans away, or at least. At least giving boxing fans another avenue to throw their support at. So you know, might. But let's not forget, UFC has a fair share of bollocks as well. There's a lot of fights in UFC that mean nothing. What they're good at is, and give Dana White his due, he followed the WWE mold where he said, "Actually, I'm going to build storylines." So you know, at certain UFCs, you're going to reach you know your WrestleMania moment, so to speak. You know, a, yeah. a Jones Cormier fight, those sorts of things. Boxing hasn't quite mastered that yet. We were talking earlier about how you make more money when you give people a reason to get behind something. You know, I mm. want to know why am I watching this card? You know, I'm watching the the Alan Crawler card on the Saturday, and I'm like, who am I really getting behind here? Who am I trying to get excited about? You're stoking that tribalism in people, yeah. And that that, that excitement, you know, I'd, I'd quite, you know, and I know and I might have had his views on the card. I'd quite like, I'd really like Eddie Hearn to say, Do you know what. Here's all the money. It's going to Ant Crawler. He deserves it. I'm going to have an undercard where all my young fighters are going to have step-up fights. Yeah. If he had done that in Manchester, thrown O'Hara Davis in in the challenging fight, thrown Charlie Edwards in, thrown 
you know, like I said, Craig Richardson, all those sorts of guys, Isaac Chamberlain, and said, listen, you're on a stage here, own that stage. That would have been a hell of a card. Why? Because you're seeing the future. You can get excited about something. You know, you're throwing guys in like Martin Murray, who I've seen before fight Tommy Doyle, Paul Smith. And none of those guys have any interest to me. You know, Martin Murray is going to take an absolute hiding against George Rose. You know, that's what we know for certain. So this is just, you know, this is the preamble to the hiding. Fair enough, but I'm not that excited about those sorts of fights. <clears throat> it certainly doesn't inspire me, that that particular fight you mentioned, the George Gross fight. Yeah. But do you have anything to add? No, no, I mean, Terry's completely right. And, um, I, yeah, uh, Eddie Hearn and the whole undercard for that fight. I had some back and forth in on Twitter this week. Um, just basically, I think I described it as... Two gash fights, one average fight, which was the Anwar Singleton one, which, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad fight, that one. Um, it's not terrible. I mean, Coyle, Smith and Murray were in fights that they were 1 to 200 on to win. <laughs> All of them, 1 to 200 to win. Like, what is the point in that getting anywhere near a TV broadcast? It's a shambles. Um, and you're right, if they'd have got some of the younger lads out rather than the older names that we're bored of seeing, frankly, giving them a run out in proper fights that aren't going to cost 100 grand to make. They're going to cost 10, 20, 30 grand to make, which is probably what you're paying Paul Smith, Martin Murray, Tommy Coyle anyway. Um, then it would have been a far more entertaining and worthwhile card, but that, you know, it never happened. Okay, so either of you two got anything at to add on the uh, on the crawler Barroso front? Where does he go next? It has to be Flanagan. Like, you know, we keep dancing around this issue, fight after fight. Just fight Flanagan, you know, unification. Let's see who the best guy from wherever school it is, long sight comprehensive. Just resolve that once and for all. And I think Eddie Hearn needs to stop saying that Crawler defeated the best lightweight in the world, the most devastating puncher, because until he fights Robert Easter Jr. I don't think he's fought the best in the division. He hasn't, you know, there are other guys in that division. Jorge Linares. Yeah. Would, so. You know, Linares is probably the number one in the division. Um, Ranthers as well. Yeah. His yeah. yeah, he's a threat. Felix Verdejo will cause all kinds of trouble too. You know, then you've got Robert Easter Jr. who's six foot, 135 <clears throat> pounds, you know, and it's got that kind of Thomas Hearns leverage when he punches. So there are all of these guys that Crawler could fight. And I think fans should be looking at that and asking, Eddie, why aren't you making these fights happen? Because Easter Jr. will come over. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, one, I mean, that's, uh, it's a very, very fair point. The thing about the Flanagan one, yes, there's the political side of it with Frank Warren having Flanagan as a fighter. But we all know Eddie Hearn, as you were saying earlier about the, like, the WWE side of it and being able to build the story. Eddie Hearn is probably the one promoter who's quite good at building the backstory and building it up to that WrestleMania moment. He's certainly better at selling tickets than someone like Frank Warren. Yeah, but he's, he's good at building that um, storyline. He's good at building that narrative around a fight. You've got two lads that were in the same school at the same time in Manchester <laughs> that are now both holding different versions of the lightweight world title. Like, Normally, Hearn will fabricate a fucking backstory for the purpose of a backstory. You don't need to right now. <laughs> yeah, like, that's why. Got... He's got He's like, well, I'm not doing that. That's already made yeah. up. <laughs> I want to make a different one. What he loves is going into roll doll mode and like, probably <laughs> making up a story for it. He doesn't need yeah. to now, so he's sacking it off. So it, it, that is so baffling. And as a fan, 
yes, we've overseen names that you know Terry's just thrown at us are you know interesting fights, but come on, we all want to see Flanagan Crawler as the next fight. There is no other fight that should make sense. He he mentioned. I was going to say to you, he mentioned they meant they've been quite vocal in their chase for money at the moment, haven't they? Eddie Hearn and Crawler. Is this the guy who said he wanted to make a rich man? Yeah, he was making him a rich man for this fight, which is hence a dross undercard. So does that mean does that mean that that's his that's their sole goal and everything's going to suffer in in the pursuit of that, or does that mean that that was a one off and we might actually see him take on some challenging fights? It depends. Um, if we look at Matchroom as an entire business, revenues of thirty four million in a year. Um, that covers snooker. That covers darts so at any one time they have to be paying people so those snooker world championships have just come up they have to pay people um they've had to pay oh what's, what's that big lump's name brazil they've had to pay brazil a hell of a lot of money to come over here so that's all money that's tied up in terms of cash flow so do you then have the money or the revenue window to stump up the money for a flanagan qualified be quite difficult because you know look at the matchroom pivots if you go if you look at how matchroom strategy shifts over the last couple of years it was DeGale. You know, the big money fight was DeGale Groves. They built towards that. Then DeGale sort of like, you know what, I'm going to go and get paid with Al Heyman. So then there's another pivot, which goes, we're going to go behind Kell Brook again. And we're going to look at this Kell Brook Amir Khan fight as, you know, the one that's going to make us the money. Um, Khan said, thanks, but no thanks. I can make money elsewhere. So now we pivot back to Joshua. Now we're looking at the Joshua Fury fight. And every so often, Eddie Hearn will do that where he just, you know, kicks the chessboard in the air and goes, right, we need to start again. <laughs> just changes his focus. But, 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 but what that means now is the money's going behind Joshua and everyone's going to suffer as a result. And that's just the way they're not cash rich in the way that maybe Showtime are because they fall on a far larger organisation. So you put the money down for a Joshua fight, you got to let all that money come in before you can then put money down for another one. But the chances are it's another Joshua fight. So where do you get the money to make Brooke Garcia if you've got all your money tied up in a Joshua whoever fight? And can I just take a punt on the next qualifier being a pay-per-view? Reason being? We'll come on to it later when we talk about promoters, I suppose. But there were like almost ominous words from Hearn as they sat on the... Uh, the ringside after the fight of um, you know he's called million dollar crawler now it's time to make millions you fucking prick <laughs> can't you yeah. just give the man his moment of like just you know <laughs> taking the legacy of what he's doing right now but instead like he's turning it into pound notes like that ten minutes yeah. not even something 10 minutes. every boxing purist will love that five, five minutes after the fucking man's been you know picked up off the canvas blah 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 crawler gets his hand raised and it's straight on to the pound notes of it they'll, so, they'll, they'll resurrect someone they, I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Mitchell Derry Matthews with Derry Matthews It'll be someone like that. They'll, yeah, they'll bring, yeah. they'll, they'll dust someone off and go. Oh, you know this guy's credible. Yeah, fight him. <laughs> it's not exactly unheard of in the boxing no. world, is it? No. Um, <laughs> Shannon Briggs comes to mind. Shannon Briggs, yeah, lose a few pounds. <laughs> there you go. On a on a side note, where is Shannon Briggs? I, I'm slightly worried. There's a fight on the 21st, and Shannon Briggs is not in the UK. <laughs> If he was, we'd know. <laughs> exactly. So I'm slightly worried about what's happening on the 21st. Um, he's going to parasail in from the ceiling. 
He's going to get a helicopter. He's got to take his medical, isn't he? He's not, from what I understand, he hasn't got his medical yet from the board. Has he got to get his brain scan still? No, that's done. As far as I know, like from what I've seen, his scan is done, but his medical's to be passed. Which, in theory, he's a, he should be a perfectly healthy man. In uh, theory, you shouldn't even be fighting. Not, not, <laughs> not David Hay. Well, yeah, okay. Fair point. Anyway, okay, let's move on to uh, Garton versus Fields. I know nothing about this fight whatsoever. So give us some background, um, or give me some background, and uh, and tell me what happened. Well, from your old, always from your club, isn't he, Terry? He's, yeah, so when, when Double Jab was out Sydenham way, he was one of the intake there, and then he went off to go pro, so slightly before my time, but we do have that link to him. So he's of that same generation of a Daryl Williams, for example. The Pexican, he's the quintessential London fighter. Will always bring large numbers, vocal support to York Hall. So he's a small hall promoter's dream because you can anchor a card on him. There must have been 250, 300 Garton fans in there last night. He's got heavy links back to Millwall Football Club. Um, so you get a lot of the football chanting going on up in the upper edge. Lot of respectable gentlemen turn up. In a lot suits. of respectable gentlemen. Um, <laughs> you know, no issues. No, there were no issues to be fair. I didn't see any. Um, so yeah, he, he was taking on Ryan Fields, who is a Dave Caldwell fighter, and Dave was down there uh, last night. Um, and yeah, it's English welterweight title fight. It was a headline of the Goodwin Promotions card. Um, and yeah, Garton won it with a beautiful uh, left hook. Um, it was a very, very close fight. Like Fields, Fields looked the bigger man to me. Like he looked like he put on more weight. They'd weighed him the day before. The first few rounds were very like touch and go. They were both like it was a good scrap that they would both just stand and trade, which Garton is renowned for. You know, I've chatted with Johnny Garton before, and he said about he often goes back after the first round, sits in his corner, and he's like, oh. What am I fucking doing? <laughs> and then uh, come the second round, like it suddenly kicks in. You can see that. Like the first round, he got beaten by Fields. Um, I was chatting with Dave Coldwell afterwards, and he was saying Fields has to learn from that. He was loading up, and he was loading up, looking for big rights every time. And, uh, it was it was a counter left hook from Garton that uh, it, it was a fairly similar knockout in a in a reactionary way um, to the Khan one. That you know, Ryan Fields just fell and lay there <laughs> about half a foot from where I was. Um, the ref, for whatever reason, was stood over him, giving him the count of one, two. <laughs> Whilst in the meantime, his corner <laughs> people are getting him through the ropes. Like uh, this, this ain't happening, man. Um, and yeah, no, it was it was a really really good win. It's um, it's part of the iBox gym that he's a, a member of, along with Bradley Skeet, the British welterweight title holder. Um, they're doing good things down there. So. Uh, yeah, like a big congratulations. It was a good card. Um, it was... Um, was Eddie Lamb in the corner? Yeah. Good man. Yeah, ex-Fitzroy Lodge guy as well. Top man. Really knows his stuff. It was a hell of an amateur as well. Tough as nails. So, I'm really happy for him. I'm happy for what the guys are doing down in Ibox, you know, where Daryl Williams is also part of the setup there, which is good. Um, Al's doing a fantastic job there as well. Yeah. It's... I always like to see these sort of small centers of excellence. So like the Sims gym is another example. Um, you know, Mickey Moon's gym, another one where you have a, a small tight group of guys who just push each other and you can see the performances. It's like Gallagher's gym, you know, you know, they're all super fit and they all love those hooks to the body. And you can see, you know, that's from being in the same environment together, testing ideas out on each other. And, you know, those centers of excellence 
are really what's going to help British boxing maintain a stranglehold on things at the moment. Yeah, it's quite nice to see that there's a decent proliferation of um, British boxers in all weight, well, in most weight divisions now, uh, which is uh, quite encouraging. Do you have anything to add on the Garden Fields fight? No, no, not overly. It was uh, it was a really, really good fight while it lasted. Quality ending. Fields was okay. I was chatting with him afterwards, and uh, he was fine. But uh, no, it was a good night. The ref pissed me off for catting over me whilst I was knocked out. <laughs> yeah, I was having a nice sleep, and he, uh, he kept um, trying to interrupt me. I wanted to bring up the uh, Chisora fight because I saw some of it. Uh, I've not seen any of it. I've, and I've read. Uh, I felt quite disappointed. Fury was there. He was in I his. He was in his changing room. He said. Uh, he said, "How you doing, bro?" And all these weird, <laughs> such weird lingo I, that he uses. I'm, and... I'm such a Fury fan because yeah. you know he was sat at home going, "I'm gonna go and see Derek." <laughs> <laughs> I like Derek. <laughs> yeah. I think Derek likes me, and I think me being there will help Derek win. So I'm gonna fly over there. That's pretty much by the sound of it, like what happened, I think. Yeah, and then all you see is the little video clip of Fury in there. And the thing is, anytime I see Tyson Fury, I just smile because I know that there's been a thought process behind that which makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he said, uh, I listened to what they were saying to each other, and uh, Chisora, from what I heard from the split conversation, he sort of said, How are you doing? He said, uh, That was what Fury said to Chisora, and Chisora said, After you beat me, I just hit the gym. And I've just been hitting the gym since, and then that's when the the sound sort of faded out. And you just so they're clearly having a conversation Probably about because Fury is swearing every other word. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was a clearly a conversation of Jazora uh, telling Fury how he'd reckoned that he'd come on, perhaps because uh, Fury. Well, they both commented on each other's physiques. Jazora said that Fury had lost a lot of weight, and uh, Fury said that Jazora was, was or... looking good. <laughs> I think it might have been an episode of First Date, so I was yeah. watching. <laughs> um, but. Um, Come to the fight, uh, I I've never actually I've never actually seen Pulev come out, and it, I I just thought it was it was so awkward. They had this random rock band live, and this oh, woman scream, that, screaming down this microphone for a good two two or three minutes until he finally walks out. And then he gets the ring. Then Chitora comes out a bit more reserved, and to call a boxer reserved on his way to the ring is saying something. But like a comparison, and. Uh, and then, to be honest, I, I lost interest in the fight in about the fourth or fifth round because it was just so... Pulev, every time Chisora got close to him, he just wrapped him up. And then Chisora just couldn't do anything. It was just... It was very similar, in actual fact, to the Tyson Fury-Chisora fight at the XL, I thought. It just... Chisora just didn't seem to know how to get... how to get behind his guard, like, how to attack him. So, Chisora's problem, and I think I've been saying this for years, is he understands... He needs to box a bit like Joe Frazier. So he's got to come out of the crouch with a left hook. He can't throw a straight right. I've heard rumours that his right foot isn't necessarily structurally sound. So he's never learned to throw the straight right. So he'd, he'd always be a kind of looping, arcing shot. But to do that, you need to move your feet. But he stays pretty much in the middle while he bobs and weaves, which leaves you there to get counted or to get wrapped up. So if you're if you roll out to your left and step to your left, I can't hold you because suddenly you're under my armpit. So the best bet I have is just to drop my arm on you. But if you can pivot out and work, <clears throat> that shouldn't happen. So I think from a coaching perspective, you know, Chisora has awful footwork, as did Amir Khan yesterday. You know, something I didn't pick up on, but he's shocking footwork. And I don't think enough trainers drill that anymore. So you get that solid footwork 
and then you know, the shots go over your shoulders and from any foot position you should be able to punch and that should be Chisora's game. I don't know why he doesn't do that because if you think about it, only two people have really, really messed with Chisora and that's Fury and David Hay. You know, he gave Vitaly all kinds of hell. I know Vitaly says he was injured but you saw the right side of Vitaly's torso. He took an absolute battering and he's a, he's a tough guy. You know, the sad part of it is after that performance, you can expect him to be fed to Joshua at some point before the end of the year. Yep. <laughs> fed to Joshua. I love it. I felt quite sorry for him, actually, because, um, not that I probably should, but I just, I felt like it was almost, um, it was almost a reminder of what British boxing was before this influx of credible heavyweights. I never, I, I mean, between Lennox Lewis and, and sort of like this era, we've never really had anyone that was worth, certainly not, you know, supreme or at least people that you could consider very like world-class heavyweights. Now we seem to have an influx of them. I just I thought it'd be nice if Chisora had, you know, stepped up a class, taken Pulev out, and then you know maybe had a fight where he could sort of put himself back on the stage again. I don't. I don't... The problem he has is he's taken out most of the people, so he you'd want him to fight a Malik Scott, but he's beaten Malik Scott already. See, Tyson Fury last night said that he'd promised him another fight. <laughs> What's that all about? Are those retiring? Or fighting Joshua. But uh, he said, he, he actually, you heard him on another part of the sound clip. He said, oh, you know, I promised you we'd have another fight. And I thought, w- one, one, what's the point of that? Fury's beaten him twice. There are, there are three fights I'd like to see for Chisora, which would be, or maybe four, like David Allen, Dillian White, Huey Fury, or David Price. Like, one of those four would be a good fight, I think, for Chisora. And if he loses it, He's got to know his level and perhaps take a, a bow out of the sport, would be my view of it. Or take on one of the other names that's in there. But I think like he's got to drop back to domestic level. And those are four fighters that have got their own different requirements right now. Like Price is rebuilding again. Um, Huey Fury, David Allen, you know they're on the way up. They need those testing fights. Dillian White needs to come back from the Joshua loss. I'd like to see Chisora in with one of those four. Terry, don't look for the Dillian fight. Dillian White fight to happen anytime soon. I've, you know, the gym rumors about those two sparring are ominous for for Dillian White. So I heard Chisora put him flat on his back, but that's a rumor. I, it's not coming from my mouth. So you know, but it is now, Terry. You fucked. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love it. yeah. But the, these are the rumors that go around. Um, I personally think Dillian White would give. Derek just are all kinds of trouble. Um, Dave Allen, I still feel, is a bit too messy at the moment. There isn't that clarity in what he does in the ring. You know, like I saw him and Jason Gavin, I, I felt he didn't know how to make an adjustment to really deal with that guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I spoke with Dave Allen last week and did a piece with him, and uh, it's quite an interesting chat. But he was saying that fight, like once Richard Towers pulled out in a week of that fight, he said he just lost the plot. Like he couldn't be asked with it. He found out he got Jason Gavin, so he's in the casino till three in the morning, like on the through to the Saturday morning. Left the casino at three in the morning to come home and go fight Jason Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "I know it's unprofessional." He said, "I know it is, but I'm fighting Jason Gavin." He said, "I know he's injured. I know he's shit. I know he's coming over at late notice. I'm gonna beat him." And so he said, "You know, in hindsight, it's a missed opportunity to look good on a Sky card." And he said, "I know that, but what am I meant to do? I can motivate myself for it." So. 
yeah, he he by his own admission has not been as good as he should be, um, which I think is a good off. Like chuck these people in. See, just, I like him. I, I'm a real Dave Allen fan, so I like you know he's a smaller heavyweight. He he's mobile, which is good, and he's not afraid of anyone, which mm. is fantastic. But he's the sort of person if I if I had him in front of me, I'd say you're at that point where you need to decide how bad you want this. You, sh- you know, even if you are fighting Jason Gavin, you know, I guess that's what makes Joshua different. Joshua would never have been in the casino the night before, and he would have taken out Jason Gavin. In you know, he would have just dealt with it professionally, and that's what professional boxing is. You've got to go in there, you've got to do the job, and what the job actually is in the professionals is, you've not only got to win, but you've got to entertain the people who have paid money for it because that's how you get called back. Um, a question I have for you, Terry, is something we've debated a few times on this. Um... If Fury Joshua happens, who wins? Fury wins comfortly. Uh, and how how long do you foresee before Joshua could put up um, a respectable fight for himself? So my question immediately is: What can Joshua add to his arsenal between now and whenever they fight? Joshua is a man of what twenty six, twenty seven. He's only a year younger than Fury. Yeah. yeah. So, and remember, Fury's fought since he was a kid. You know, I was watching that YouTube clip that they have of Tyson Fury as a seventeen year old boxing the American guy. Knocks him out, two devastating right hands. The guy's sleeping on the ropes. Fury hit him again for good measure. <laughs> put him out. And you're watching him as a 17-year-old and you say, the guy's a natural, he has natural boxing instincts. And what that means is he can make adjustments within a round. He doesn't have to wait for his corner to tell him. Whereas Joshua will have to go back to the corner for instruction. So how do you beat a guy like that, number one? I mean, how do you even get sparring for a guy like Fury? He might come in and want to box like Riddick Bowe. He might come in and want to box like Lennox Lewis. He can execute all of those from Orthodox and Southpaw. You know, he, look what he did to Klitschko. I still think Klitschko beats every heavyweight not called Tyson Fury right now. <laughs> and he, so you, you, you he think, made him gun shy. You think uh, Fury's going to wipe the floor of him this time as well? All right, maybe so, like the floor's a bit heavy, but would you, you think he's going to beat him? It's an interesting psychological game he's playing now, isn't it? This whole... I don't want to box anymore. You're a great champion. I now understand. I hope you beat me. Yeah. <laughs> all of this stuff, turning up, looking overweight, all of this is designed so Vladimir is off balance again. Psychologically off balance. Which fury am I getting? Is he hungry? Is he just up for the payday? And I think Tyson's looking to take him out. Look, I'm, I'm a massive Peter Fury fan. If, if I could spend a month with one trainer in this country, it'd be Peter Fury. I think he gets boxing, and I think he he's one of the guys who almost went back in the archives and dug up some old tactics and techniques, and that's what Tyson, Tyson's a throwback fighter. And because of that, I think it's going to be hard for Joshua, because Joshua's really, you know, straight down the pipe, one, two, one, two, and people bludgeon you doing that. Fury's not there to be hit. You know, and people say he hasn't got power in his hands, but you don't want to get hit by an 18-stone man with an 87-inch reach or whatever it is that he has. It's soul-destroying. Ask Chisora. <laughs> it's soul-destroying. We saw Chisora's face, didn't we? Like, as he was walking oh, to the back of like, the accelerator. It looked like a tomato pizza. It just <laughs> had horrendous. his face jabbed off for the entire round. Like, round after round after round. No power shots. And his face was a mess. Like, destroyed. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, so I'm, I'm, that, that interests me, just because, um, obviously, you look on social media and... Um, Everyone seems to dislike the way that Fury goes about his business, and they all love, you know, Andy Joshua. And uh, I don't know. Martin's always been a massive fan of Tyson Fury. He certainly won me over. Um, 
the Klitschko fight personally, I, and I, I go completely against the grain here, but I found that an exhilarating fight, which was really exciting. Whereas everyone who I spoke to afterwards said it was boring. Well, I, I found it great. I, I really enjoyed it. I was really emotionally invested in Fury winning. But Think how many people have tried to beat Vladimir Klitschko. And I think mean, that was probably what it was. No win yeah. And all of a sudden you see this guy in Tyson Fury. And he he stopped one of the great heavyweight champions boxing the way he wanted to. He stopped him. That's that's mind blowing. Not 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 even that you know if he had bludgeoned him and knocked him out, that's one thing. He stopped him to the point where Vladimir's looking, going, "What the hell do I do?" <laughs> and played with him. Yeah, I like that because when you watch the Klitschko Hay, Hay doesn't he never never seems to get started, does he? And I know he <coughs> realised his toes in such bad shape and all that, but <laughs> <laughs> but he just didn't like to watch that Klitschko and then to watch the Klitschko versus Fury. There's there's almost an air of panic in him when he's fighting Fury. Well, against David, he, he could retreat. Um, but prior to that fight, I remember having a conversation in our gym. And I said, if David comes forward on three steps and lets a right hand go, he'll knock Klitschko out. Because what Klitschko normally does is he'll slide back twice. And then he'll decide what to do at that point. He might hold, he might counter. But if you take two steps and stop, you're still in his range to get countered. That third step gets you right in there. And if there's a shot that comes in with it, you put him under pressure. No one, no one really does that to Klitschko. And in this fight, in the fight with Fury, he had no choice but to come forward because he didn't have the reach to to sit on the back foot. And Fury said, "I'm going to do to you what you've done to everyone else." Um, I'm going to ask you a question, Terry, uh, that I asked Martin last week, which was, and it's similar to what I've just asked you, so you've you've partly answered it already. But um, obviously, you've you've gone for Tyson over Joshua. But hey, Joshua Tyson. Uh, sorry, hey, yeah, hey, Joshua Fury. Who fights round robin? Uh, who wins round robin? So you've obviously, obviously, think that Fury would beat Joshua. I think Hay would beat Joshua, and I think Fury would beat Hay. Yeah, that's pretty much that's exactly what you said, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, David is another guy who has natural boxing instincts. He's a natural athlete, like Anthony Joshua is. But what I like about David now, especially with Shane McGuigan, there's a lot more understanding the head movement and not giving up distance like he used to where he used to just be you know he'd be out out of range spring into range and attack but he's an older man now so i think he's prepared to sit in the pocket with these bigger guys a bit more and to clarify lante where would you base that from because it's certainly not from the mark demori fight is it no it's 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 you know conversations we've had things i've seen him actually working on and executing and sparring it's you know, there aren't many British heavyweights, there aren't many world heavyweights who move their head that way. He's he's moving like a light heavyweight, which is nice to see. Um, which is a throwback to his cruiserweight days. Yes, and I think he needs to get back into that frame of mind because you're not going to outmuscle some of these guys like the yeah. Joshuas. But if you can make them miss, particularly with the jab, I always say this, man, the first thing you ever want to do in a fight is take the guy's jab away from him because everyone derives confidence from their jab. So if your jab's missing a lot, you start to doubt the rest of your punches, and normally your fight strategy goes out the window at that point. Okay, so the question I have then for both of you um, is, how do you beat Joshua? Uh, movement, movement's going to be the key. Like everybody that Joshua's fought, I mean Terry's already said it. Every combination he throws is a jab, cross, one, two down the middle, and everybody that he's fought has been happy seemingly to be on the end of it. How many body shots, how many body hooks have you ever seen Joshua actually throw? 
I could count them on one hand. Um, and so actually coming off at, <clears throat> at angles, foot movement, not being... You beat Tyson Fury. <laughs> I think that's why David Hayward also causing problems, just through the speed and the fact that he's not just going to sit in front of him. Um, yeah, I think just anyone who's not in line with his fucking left right is going to cause yeah. him a problem. In our gym, we call it Channel One. So that's cha- you know Channel One is here directly. He's pointing in front of himself. By Fe- the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we haven't got as far as the We haven't got as far as the video tech yet. We'll get there. So, so we call Channel One anything that's you know in in line with your face. That's Channel One. You never want to be there in a fight, especially if you're the smaller guy, because you're going to get jabbed and crossed for, for the whole fight. So we always encourage guys to start in channel one, move to channel two, back into channel one, out into channel three. Always moving through those channels and making sure that in those transitions, you're letting the hands go. Um, you know, a guy like Joe Frazier, prime example, didn't really want to stay in the middle too long. You know, and would just work that left hook from just outside your peripheral vision and then it would come and detonate. So I think that kind of approach would give Joshua all kinds of trouble. If you're a guy that wants to stand in the middle, and exert your dominance over Anthony Joshua, you'll realise the guy's a ferocious jab. And, you know, you've seen guys fight Joshua get jabbed and go, I really don't need to be here. Yeah. <laughs> which, which you know, you know, and I'll give Joshua a hard time for a lot of things. I love his jab. He's got that, that kind of Lennox Lewis jab, which is it's going to be consistent round after round, and it's always going to hurt. I think you'd like to see him, actually, I mean, ironically with yourself, but double it up sometimes. Um... I'm, I'm sure others wouldn't, but yeah. <laughs> you know, because there are guys that have given Joshua trouble in sparring. Huh? You know, guys like Ian Lewison mm. will, will give him all kinds of trouble in sparring. But can Ian Lewison do it for 12 rounds? We don't know. But that kind of Ian Lewison approach of, I'm going to come, you know, from a crouch, explode into a shot, back into a crouch. We'll give him trouble. Well, at least for a few rounds, we'll give Joshua trouble. If um, if Fury Joshua is going to happen, do we see it in the next year? I think this is similar to a question we asked last week of you. you I think you said it wouldn't happen in the next year. Uh, I, I, how can you second guess what Fury's going to do? I suppose would always be my answer. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, money talks, doesn't it? Ultimately, um, Hearn's a money-driven person. Fury's a money-driven person. Joshua does what Hearn seems to say. Um, how true that is or not, I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I heard an interesting story actually yesterday um, about the uh, the head to head stuff with uh, Joshua and Brazil, um, where Joshua kind of lost his temper a bit. Not about that life. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's somebody who was who was there, and um, I was asking how legit that was. And how much of it was just put on for matchroom camera effect? No, I'm told it was 100% quite genuine. It doesn't uh, surprise me. And the reason being, this person had spoke with Joshua afterwards and said, "Like, what the fuck's that all about?" Like, and Joshua just apparently said, "Like, look, I am knackered, and like, I am, I'm threadbare with all this." Apparently, saying like, since winning the belt, all he's done is been taken from pillar to post, pillar to post, media commitments everywhere. He was saying that he's absolutely shot, like knackered. Um, and the plan is after the Brazil fight to take a break from like everything. Um, but he was saying he's looking forward to getting into camp just so he doesn't have to do all this media commitment stuff. 
Um, what has he been doing? Like, who's it? What, what, where has he been? Has he just been doing press conferences everywhere? Well, no. So, you know, you're seeing all of these, an evening with Anthony Joshua. He has to go to this event, that event. Because remember, there'll be commitments that come with Under Armour as well. So he'll have to oh, do some okay. Under Armour events and his other sponsors. Because, you know, he's got these sponsors behind him. So he has to attend these dinners and do all of these things. So, you know, based on inside sources, you can imagine what happens. You know, you're training in the morning. You know, you want to have a nap in the afternoon. In the evening, instead of resting and recovering or doing an additional session, you're at some event or other. You know, maybe you get out of there at midnight, back back to sleep. Now you want to train to Sheffield to go and train with Rob McCracken. Allegedly. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's generally. They don't even fucking hide it now. I don't no, know I, I think it's, uh... it's generally accepted. He goes up to Sheffield to train with Rob McCracken and the GB squad. Um, there, there's there's more detail behind that, but so he might be spreading himself too thin. Okay, I, I I suppose that's I've got to bring that to the end. It's part of my indulgence. I must admit, I do have a soft spot for the heavyweight division. I like to talk about it. So um, let's talk about. Oh, I watched the Shane Singleton fight. Uh, which I realised wasn't much of a fight. I it was against Anwar. Uh, I don't know what his first name was. Andrew Anwar. Anwar. <laughs> um, I thought Anwar put up a decent fight. I mean, he got knocked over in the first, but I thought after that he made a decent recovery and he made a decent slog of it for for a while. Um, Shane Singleton looked a bit dishevelled, sort of around sort of like the fourth and fifth didn't seem to really know what he was what he was going to do then he found some composure and eventually he knocked Anwar out it, it seemed to me that Anwar was was better than Shane Singleton expected more so than anything else um, but uh, do either of you two see it any thoughts didn't see the fight but I do feel for Adel Anwar he gets a hard time because you know like when he was on his rise you know, I think he got into it a bit with uh, Spencer Fear on camp, and he was routinely disrespected, you know, publicly. Which, you know, I, I, I don't like to see that in boxing, if I'm being honest with you. And you know, that 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 had an effect. And then you know, he was probably ne- he never had the same esteem in boxing after that. But he's a good, solid professional. <clears throat> well, he certainly uh, put up a. He had two weeks' notice last night, as well as you know, whatever in terms of his class or whatever. So I I, I did feel for him because I thought he put up a good show. I think for Singleton, uh, I didn't see it at all, but I'm I'm pleased because he was meant to be the kind of um, head of the undercard for the David Hay fight, the Demori one, uh, against John O'Donnell for, uh, I can't remember if it's the English or British, probably British title, I suspect, uh, and O'Donnell went missing prior to the fight um, and hasn't seemingly surfaced publicly since. Um, and Singleton was kind of left without a dance partner for the evening, so uh, he got pretty badly screwed over for that. So um, yeah, I'm pleased that he's he's got the win and got some exposure on TV. Okay, let's move on. Um, this weekend we have Lee Haskins versus Ivan Morale. Morale, Morales, Morales. Okay, there you go. I'm gonna have people screaming at me down there. <laughs> I've never conf- I've never portrayed myself as the oracle of boxing, but um, what can you tell us about that? Uh, where are we starting? You've gone into. I love Lee Haskins. Um, <laughs> I love Lee Haskins. And for the third time, I love Lee Haskins. He's he's a guy who shows that you know if you understand the basics of boxing, you can turn them into your own style and you can express yourself in the ring. And sheer class, you know. Oh, obviously, we'd like him to have won the IBF belt in the ring, but you'll take you'll take him in whatever way you can. You know, here's a chance now for him to, you know, 
you're on national TV, make a statement, you know, perform well, and keep pushing for that McDonald fight. I think the Jamie McDonald fight now needs to happen. You know, you, you know, I'll say this repeatedly. I get annoyed when we have numerous world champions in one country and they're not fighting each other. Because, um, you know, the, the whole thing about being a world champion is, can we just get the focus down to one? Can you give us just a bit of a backstory on the, uh, how we acquired the IBF title then? Um, don't ask me who the opponent was meant to be, but it was uh, Randy not, Caballero. Yes, so they were fighting for a vacant belt. Yeah, it was right? on the undercard of Canelo. Uh, Kirkland, or Angulo? No, uh, ah shit, I can't. Remember. There was one out in Vegas. Um, oh, it's Canelo Cotto. Oh, shit, yeah, oh yeah. It was a Canelo Cotto undercard, and Caballero came in overweight. Um, and so got the title handed to him. Yeah, so it was a quick. So they they asked Lee Haskins, do you still want to fight the guys over? Do you still want to fight? Lee Haskins quite rightly went, you know, I've already got the belt, risking my life. I'm okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, so I think he got a share of whatever person withheld. So so there was a financial settlement that came with that. You know, while people question his legitimacy as a champion, you know, we'll find out in the next couple of fights. You know, if if it's his belt to keep. I hope it is. Would like to see the McDonald fight. I think you know what's the Haskins at early thirties. Yeah. So it, this, <clears throat> this is really his time to, you know, secure secure his family's future. I think. But for yeah. anyone out there who's not that familiar with Lee Haskins, because he has gone under the radar. You know, he's not a matchroom fighter. Um, like tune in. It's on Channel Five. He's uh, he's a Sanigar fighter, and they've teamed up with Cyclone Promotions so Barry McGuigan's lot. And they've taken on the Channel 5 slot that was kind of previously with Mick Hennessy. So it's a good opportunity uh, to see him. And he's just such a stylish fighter. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Terry will agree. Like, he, he goes by a name like Playboy Lee Haskins. Um, and he's just great to watch. Um, just great. Like He's a unique fighter to me. It's... He's a guy the Americans would love. If you, if, <laughs> if the Americans would love a guy like that. In the same way they quite like Prince Nassim Hamed. Yeah. He, he's a guy who... You watch him and you like you can use the word slick and you're not forcing it. He's slick, you know, he likes to counter. He's got all the shots in the book. And, you know, there's a little bit of the showman in him as well, which is good. I think on a wider issue, then, this May 14th, you know, it's good to see the, the McGuigans have a platform now. You know, um, they've got the young lad, Conrad Cummings. I think he's fighting on the 14th as well. Um, you know, looks good, tough, you know, middleweight. So that will be good. And, you know, just generally speaking, I think it's good for boxing to to be on Channel 5. You know, people should get behind that. I know people like to deride Channel 5, but it's a national platform. You know, it's a chance to see an alternative view of boxing from the Sky Sports version. Yeah, and this you know, is... I quite liked it when Dave took it, took it on as well. <clears throat> yeah, just anything that's different to the norm is quite refreshing. Dave this the is... week after. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> this is an IBF world title fight. This is like the equivalent of a Kell Brook title fight. And yet it doesn't it doesn't garner the same coverage. I know it's just you know, it's the lack of the sky platform, etc. etc. Um the Sanigars perhaps, you know, don't um have the I don't know whatever the reason, but they're not as high profile. Um and I I would just uh, I would really encourage anybody to tune in and watch it and you know <laughs> This Morales, who he's fighting, I don't know a lot about him. He's undefeated. Um, it's probably going to... I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about him to comment, I suppose. Um, 
But it, it's certainly a dangerous for any undefeated fighter coming over to an extent yeah. is a, a dangerous opposition. Um, and it's a legitimate... Uh, legitimate title fight because we know the IBF are really strict on it. And you can, you can, you know, we can you know, pull them up on the quality of their mandatories, but they will force you to fight your mandatories and, they, you know, they'll always try and keep their house in order. You know, they, they've been burnt by stuff like this before. So I think of all the governing bodies, they're probably the ones with the least skeletons in their closet. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so that's governing bodies wrapped up. Let's talk about the other most uh, wonderful thing about boxing, which is promoters. <laughs> where would we be without wonderful promoters? <laughs> it's like I remember watching a Simpsons episode where that um, lawyer says, uh, where would we be, Lionel Hutz, where would the world be without lawyers? And then he imagines this, and everyone's dancing around in a circle with rainbows. <laughs> so uh, what have you got to say about promoters then? Can I go off the bat with this, right? Um, it may be a bit of a rant, so I'll apologise in advance. Hold on, I'll go and get your soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's pulled the microphone in just to... That's it, that's it. Again, it's legit. <laughs> Again, my sleeping bag out. Um, no, what this was sparked to me um, last night, watching... I've been in York Hall all night, and Johnny Garton picks up this welterweight title. Um, now... After the fight, it's the first English title held by any of the Goodwin promotional fighters. And I see, like, as Ryan Fields hits the canvas, his head hits the canvas, Steve Goodwin, who is both manager and promoter for Johnny Garton, like, getting up and, you know, giving it some big balls and, like, yeah, getting behind his man. And then I went and chatted with Steve afterwards. And, like, this was less than five minutes after the fight, I was having a chat with Steve. And he was talking to me about he was just so proud of the journey him and Johnny had gone on. Like Garton lost to um, uh, what's an Eggington uh, in prize fire, and he picked him up kind of after that from I think it was Adam Booth, and uh, he was talking about kind of uh, you know how at that point that he wasn't really sure where he was going. Garton there wasn't that much, and so you know Goodwin's kind of taken him. And he was just telling me about the journey they'd been on between them and how proud he was about Garton becoming an English champion and, and having that belt in the stable, right? And then on the way home, as I'm sat in London traffic, I see Eddie Hearn then sat on the ring canvas with Anthony Crawler talking about... Um, and Crawler sat there and he said, this is fantastic. I'm so pleased for the Manchester people that are here. I want to create a legacy. I want big nights. I want them to see the best fights out there. I want everything, you know, like basically I want what Ricky Hatton had. I want that legacy. I want that, you know, to bring that excitement to the area. Turn the camera to Eddie Hearn. First thing he says is, ah, oh, this is million dollar Crawler. Let's make him millions of pounds. Oh, fuck's sake, right? <laughs> now, to me... I know that's his job. I know that he's there to make money for his fighter. But having gone from an experience where I talked to a promoter who talks on it on a very personal level about the experience he's been through with that fighter, with Johnny Gart and Steve Goodwin, to then hearing it at the top end of the sport with Eddie Hearn, basically, like, no empathy, no... Yeah, he said, you know, he goes on to after that, say what a great win it was for his man, etc., etc., but just as soon as like as soon as that wins there, the money, as far as he's concerned, the money's printing itself. Now, again, turn that back round for say Steve Goodwin. Like as the first English title that he's held within his stable, you could argue like that is then his opportunity to make more money from a fight probably than he's done from any other fight. He's had like area level, southern area title holders. 
but that English title gives him leverage to make more money. But he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about it in a financial sense. He talks it in a very uh, empathetic sense of what he's been through with the fighter and what they want to go on and achieve. Hearn is purely cash-driven. And then as an afterthought, is like, wow, well done to the fighter as well. And, you know, it's a great... So, anyway, that's my rant over. Let's hope... <laughs> I know Terry has his own views on, uh, I quite like on the promotional scene. I genuinely quite like Eddie Hearn. Um, he was the first guy to lift the veil on boxing. And, you know, fans no longer have an excuse. Eddie Hearn will tell you, look, this is what's happening. I've made an offer. They've said no. You know, we're moving on. Um, I remember him breaking down, you know... But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. that... I, I like Hearn. I like him because he's... <laughs> It goes against everything I've just said, but when you say about like he's lifted the the veil on it and he's, um, you know, he uh, is the honest approach to boxing, is he? Well, well, like, well, I didn't say honest, but I said, uh, <laughs> what I said is he, he's lifted the veil. So before we'd sit there and go, why aren't fights getting made? And we'd throw our own judgments in there. We'd say so and so is ducking so and so. One thing I've learned being in boxing is no fighter is afraid of another fighter. You know, I remember I used to hear Mayweather scared of. Pacquiao, you look and you go, Mayweather's far super middleweights in his own gym. Why would he be afraid of someone smaller than him? You know, so there are, a lot of stuff gets said under the guise of people, you know, claiming to be experts or claiming to be close to the information. Eddie Hearn will come on, and I know people will knock IFL and say it's basically, you know, Matchroom's mouthpiece. You know, there's, there's arguments behind that. But he'll come on and he'll answer questions and he'll, he'll give the version of facts that he feels he can stand behind. Is it always the truth? Probably somewhere in the middle. But you're more informed having heard Eddie Hearn talk than you are afterwards. Now, I can also understand why Eddie Hearn cares about the money as well, because I'm sure, you know, some of the guys in his camp are disappointments. You know, and what he cares about is continue on the legacy. Because remember, he lives, you know, his dad still kind of looms large. He has a lot to prove. So there's there's that element. Steve Goodwin comes into it having already proved himself in another field. You know, so for Steve Goodwin, it's like I want to get involved in boxing. I want to I want to help people. Eddie Hearn is I'm a Hearn boxing promotion, sports promotion is what I do, and I need I need to be different from my dad. So I can understand those elements, you know. But I think on balance he's been good for the sport. You know, he's he's allowed people to make real money. You know, before. Frosch was with Hearn. Was he making real money? Probably not. No. And, and Eddie Hearn, you know, would Kell Brook be making the same money under Frank Warren? Probably not. Look, Terry Flanagan fought in front of what five thousand people. Do I think Terry Flanagan is an inferior fighter to Anthony Crawler? God no. Should he be filling out the MEN? Of course he should. Would he be doing that if he was under Eddie Hearn's management? Probably. And. You you have to look at it that way, you know. I think my thing about promoters is, and I, I wish people discuss this. Box Nation has was probably the worst thing that happened to boxing. <laughs> um, boxing, there's not enough boxing content on this planet to justify a pay channel. There really yeah. isn't, and I I genuinely wish uh, my rant will be over at this point. I wish Frank Warren would close that down, do a deal with ITV4 because it can't be that expensive to buy space on ITV4. And just put his fights on ITV4. Yeah. Go, do you know what? This is how I need to compete with Metro. Yeah. What you don't want to do is exclusivize a sport. Is that a word? Which. I made that up, didn't you? Yeah. I've, I've, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, that's my that's my deed for the day. I'm invented uh, yeah, this word. Yeah, um, we, uh, you boxing needs to recruit new fans, right? Um, as much as any any um, sport, I suppose. But to make it behind a paywall, like you say, is just yeah. I, I seem see it defeats the object, especially as you say, there's not enough boxing content on there. My, my biggest issue with Box Nation, I completely agree. Like there isn't. You can buy the back library. Like if I get home from work and I turn on Box Nation, they'll be showing some fight from 1982 in America with two fighters I've never heard of. I think, why the fuck would I ever want to watch this? Like, I, I, I don't. And yeah, I do kind of leave it on, but um, <laughs> oddly, because I've got nothing better to do. But what I don't understand is you're completely right. Like, shut the channel down because they don't even show their own live shows. Like there are various shows from like your call and things that they basically say the production cost of putting that on live on Box Nation isn't worth it. Like, but you've got fucking twenty four hours of like potential programming to fill here, and you've got that slot of like a three four hour show out of your call, and you're not showing it. The last um, it was the Bradley Skeet fight, was it not the one uh, with Eggington, but the one before that they didn't show it live. Because of the fact that the production cost would be too much to put it live on Box Nation, so how, I don't know how far you can aim like wide of the, the the mark of making it a worthwhile channel. If I paid ten pound a month or whatever for that, which I don't, by the way, like it's purely off of streaming it. If I paid ten pound, <laughs> anyone a month, who's listened to more than one of these podcasts knows your history of streaming. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's almost as bad as mine in private history. Uh, <laughs> so no, Claire, it's not. <laughs> far worse um <laughs> but yeah like why have a channel and not show all your own content is fucking madness absolute madness and that channel cannot justify itself no but as a you know, final promoter rent because i i have issues as well and you know when you coach kids and you see talent and you think to yourself do you know what in the right hands this guy will go to the moon you know we've got we've got three guys i look at and i go these guys are the real deal they've proved themselves sparring some of the best guys out there and then you know you have initial conversations with promoters now i think they're normally used to talking to boxing people but i'll sit there and go what's the three-year plan for this guy and they don't have a three-year plan you know i'm not a promoter so i don't really understand the full spectrum of it but i would ideally like you know let's take frank warren's stable i'll pick a guy the guy that i like anthony yard yeah. I think I think he's Ant- a tremendous talent. I think Anthony Yard's the real deal. Um, I've known him for about four or five years. Supremely talented. That knockout of a weight unbelievable. If you can Google him, whatever, find something on him. The guy's a machine. He's he's supremely talented. You look at him and you go, this guy. You you could take him to the states. He'd sell out. You know? What's his nickname? I don't think he has it, Mr. Anthony Yard. Well, that's it. He's gonna fail, don't he? He needs to uh, <laughs> you have a deal now. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't even know what you call him, but you, you look at someone like him. He should be better known right now, and I, I don't know if Frank Warren's doing a good enough job of pushing him. You know, look at O'Hara Davis. So they're gym, they're old gym mates. They both trained with Tunde Ajayi. So O'Hara Davis trained with him, as did Anthony Yard and a kid, Junior Benjamin, who's on his way. So they all trained together. Look at O'Hara Davis. We all know who O'Hara Davis is, and we're looking forward to seeing you know him challenge at one three five. We all are. He's you know? in title fights already, isn't he? Yes. When people, Anthony Yard is at that level, yet we don't know who he is. 
And that's my bugbear with promoters. Like, you know what? Push. Because that guy, it's just money. He's a light heavyweight. We're not blessed with light heavyweight talent in this country right now. You know, once he's confident doing the full round, the full twelve round distance, we take take people out for fun. Okay, and, what what could um what could say someone like you 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 praise Eddie Hearn for lifting the curtain on things? Well, if you could design a promoter tomorrow, what would that promote? What would be the? I mean, like for example, you mentioned Frank Warren should sack Box Nation and. And like if you you brought a promoter out tomorrow and he could take ten percent of everyone's stable randomly and he's got a stable of boxes, what does he do? He, say he buys some space on ITV four. He, he does three things. He has a he has a pay per view stream, uh, pay per view. We'll call it pay per view layer, and that will be your you know your fights that mean something, not just in the UK but globally. So that's like a Joshua Wilder fight. That's the standard of fight I think should be on pay per view because that has meaning. Outside of the sport as well. Well, that Kelbrook Frankie Gavin. Uh, I mean, that's. I was going to come to the next. That's a tremendous level of pay per view. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have. So, so then you have the second tier, which is fights that shouldn't be pay per view, but the fights people will watch in large numbers. And they're your, you know, your. I'm trying to think of one that would happen. So, uh, Kelbrook versus George Khan Gun. would attract a large crowd, wouldn't it? Not now. You don't think he would? He's a lot as a massive aging community. Surely would watch it. Kel Brook again. He'll knock him out in two rounds. Uh, you know, you look at Canelo. You look at Khan. I don't think there's much difference size wise between those two. Um, power wise, probably not that much difference either. So if Khan comes down to one four seven, you'll get hit with that right hand, and the same thing will happen. You know, Kel Brook must be gutted that that fight went the way it did. Because <laughs> that that that's that's the money gone. You know, because look, Matchroom aren't gonna. They're not going to hawk Kelbrook out to America, where do you know, individually he'll make a stack load of money, but for Matchroom he won't. I'd I'd love to know how long he's got left on that Matchroom contract. I think Al Heyman would too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, so, I would be very interested. So about this promoter, this fantasy promoter, then the first thing he does, pay per view layer, kind of interesting national fight layer. Then I'd leave the rest of those kind of mature professionals to the small hall guys. They know how to work those guys. And then you'd have a layer of, you know, like ESPN used to do, where you just have that layer of guys who are on the way up. Prospects. Yeah, and you just have that, like on a Wednesday night. And, you know, the hardcore fans can go, you know, 10 o'clock till 11, can go and watch these guys coming up, having meaningful fights. And you just migrate people up and down that ladder <clears> as you need to. One thing that's never made sense to me... Um, it's why, like the fight pass thing with Matchroom, I think in essence it's a good idea. Yeah. And so that's what you're explaining there, within reason, like within boundaries. I appreciate they shift a lot. That's basically what Fight Pass was providing. Yeah. And yeah. so you had Matchroom having a pay per view platform of Sky, which granted is abused and they show shit on there. But by the by, they have that top tier. They could use it properly. They don't. They have that middle tier, which is Sky Sports, yeah. so an average Saturday night fight night. And then they had Matchroom, which was the online streaming where they used or they utilised uh, Dave Coldwell, Steve Goodwin, and uh, I can't remember the third one. There were three small hall promoters. Not Dennis Hobson. It might have been. I don't. I can't remember. Um, they've got these three small hall promoters, and the idea was that Matchroom was an online streaming channel. Uh, sorry, Fight Pass was an online streaming channel 
where they would show some of their better small hall shows and they would also send some of their kind of nurturing talent along to perform on them. Yeah, that is, ex- yeah that is exactly the right model in theory. Now, I appreciate it doesn't necessarily work for the small hall promoter being like fished on. Yeah. Um, I know that doesn't necessarily work for them, but then the, the money probably wasn't quite... Yeah, the balance may not have been there in terms of what they were getting out of it for what they were giving away. But matching what have then in how they used to run prize fighter or whatever, they will have their own shows on York Hall that aren't on Sky Sports, but they're part of that fight pass model. So I think there's one coming up, isn't there? So I know Ted Cheeseman's on a York Hall show in a few weeks, but about it should be in June. And I think that's meant to be the the young up and comers having a show to themselves, which is good. But it has to be shown, though. You know, you have to have them in those meaningful fights. You know, I, I'm tired of seeing Danny Donchev. I don't know Danny Donchev. I don't think <laughs> I don't feel any way against him. But uh, you know, every every time I read a card somewhere, Danny Donchev, yeah. four by three, yeah. And and you think to yourself, there are other guys in this country who could give you, you know, the test you need to develop. And you know, and that's the problem we have right now. We we just don't have that depth of talent like it, it doesn't move the way it should it's, it's not meritocracy at the moment yeah it's not fluid in the way that it should be okay so um i think we're gonna have to think about wrapping it up now is there anything else you guys would like to either soapbox about or uh go on, you've, got, you've got an open mic here too we uh we have this go on what else you got <laughs> i'll just be brief um you know the, the reason i'm so disagreed with I was having a conversation with someone and I was saying I'd quite like to see the end of amateur boxing um, it's a big one <laughs> I would I, I'm now of the view that you know if you miss the window to be selected for GB what are you really boxing for the ABAs no one really showed up for the ABAs you know the best weren't boxing the best at the ABAs this year and you know congratulations to the guys that did win because they showed up and they delivered but you know the talent spread so there are guys who wouldn't do the ABAs but will do the Harringay Box Cup in June which I recommend everybody attends because it is the best boxing event we do in this country and congratulations to those guys because it's probably the slickest operation you'll see um, you have all of that but the fact of the matter is in the old days you won the ABAs you boxed for GB but GB is kind of boxed off now it's some professional outfit where if you haven't got in early like a Daniel Dubois who is a fantastic talent so yeah. to clarify, I mean the GB squad have the podium squad, don't they? Yeah. Which is the lot that you're saying they're basically untouchable. Yeah, for four year cycles they're untouchable. So I've got young kids in the gym, and I'm thinking to myself, why am I hawking you around these shows? When to be honest with you, the future of boxing surely is, you know, you have kids from 16 to 18 boxing each other on live shows. Why? Because it would take a lot of the dross out of a card seeing two hungry 18 year olds go at it so are you suggesting that amateur boxing ought to be scrapped in favour of everybody essentially go pro or stop oh not, not when go, I say go, pro no, not necessarily go pro or stop I think there should be events but I think we should just get rid of this artificial distinction because essentially look, let's be honest there's still two people hitting each other in the ring there are no head guards at the senior level now no I agree yeah. but I mean are you saying because that would be a breeding ground for the unlicensed scene, which is already fairly prevalent. But what feeds the unlicensed scene? Guys going, I'm not going to win the ABAs. I've, I've had uh, my 30 amateur fights. No, I think a lot of the unlicensed scene is just people who want to fight. Well, because well, I know a lot of the guys. 
brought in the unlicensed scene. I said, okay, how did you get into it? Ah, do you know what? Spent three years at the Lynn, had 15 bouts. Disillusion. Then I thought, let me just get 300 quid a pop. <laughs> well, and you know, it's true. Like, you know, you've got lads who are scaffolding, training in the evening in the hope of being ABA champion. And you've got some PE teacher in Swindon, boxing on a Friday night. Three three-minute rounds, taking them 300 quid. And, you know, that's what's happening now. You've got the white-collar lot as well, who are taking some of the amateurs. And you, and all this is happening, and England boxing aren't getting the money from all of the stuff that's happening. So my, my thing is, find a way for these guys to make money. And you will find that the standards go up, people can train better, and it gives you a more realistic fighter. And it stops that massive, he needs two years to adjust from the amateurs to the pros, which is ridiculous. You know, so I have to coach people two different ways now. So as an amateur, stay tall, jab, move, jab, move. Oh, you're a pro now. Okay, let's start going to the body. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'd rather just have one philosophy like they do in America. You look at the, the headbangers gym run by Barry Hunter, Mike Stafford, and Patrice Harris. You know, you go in there as a 14-year-old, you fight the same way as Lamont Peterson does. You know, when you're 16, you get to spar Lamont Peterson. Why wouldn't you stick that kid on an undercard on an Adrian Broner fight and go, well, this young guy, you know, He's a good kid. He's on his way up. I think that might be the future because I can't. I can't see, you know, how you justify saying to someone, "Oh yeah, get, keep getting your head punched in for nothing," while less talented people are boxing in leisure centres for three to five hundred quid a pop. No, I think it's a fair one. Okay, thank you very much, Terry. For uh, I'll let me just drag that um, soapbox away now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but um, no, it's been really interesting. I think it definitely added something to the pod, um, and uh, yeah, I think we'll uh, wrap up there. So, unless you either of you two chaps have anything else to add, it will be goodbye from me. I feel like that's a very pointed goodbye. I don't feel like it's optional. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye and take care. Goodbye and take care. Yeah.